Music, news, entertainment. It's all right here. This is The Kelly Alexander Show. Hey, it's Kelly, and thank you for joining us on the show. We've got some great guests this week, kicking off with Juno Award-winning vocalist Simone Denny, who found a lot of fame back in the 90s and early 2000s in Canada and around the world with dance group Love, Inc., not to mention being a solo artist. Simone talks to us about her very successful career and what she has coming up in the new year. Our music editor, Sharon Hyland, drops by to talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class for 2019. And then we round things out with Toronto-based electro-jazz duo 480 East, who have recently released their new EP called Four on the Floor, which has a phenomenal collaboration with dance diva Cece Peniston. But first, time to chat with Canadian dance music royalty Simone Denny. Simone, thank you for joining us on the show. Hey, Kelly, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I need to take you back a little bit to the beginnings of things. How did you get into music? Yeah. How did I get into music? Wow, um, that was actually, uh, I always tell people it was by accident. Um, I love music. Culturally, my parents are, my family's from uh, South America, the Caribbean, so it's part of the culture. But um, I just happened to be auditioning for something at school, and I got a standing ovation when I performed. I was Anne Murray's You Needed Me, and uh, and, uh, that was it. I was an only child. People loved it. I loved the reaction, and I was hooked. That's awesome. Uh, What music did you listen to, like, specifically as a kid? Was it all over the place? all over um from i mean growing up in canada specifically toronto you're exposed to everything so i listened uh from the beatles to classical music calypso soca like you name it like whatever was cool uh queen everything everything do you have a specific artist that makes you like get goosebumps Wow, no, actually, there's no specific artist for me. It's just good music and good, boi- beautiful voices. I can be anywhere at any time, anywhere, and, and, and enjoy um, a moment listening to someone. It happens to me all the time. I'm driving or I'm walking somewhere, and I hear a song, and I'm like, who is that? So I, I just, I'm very eclectic. I love all styles of music. How did you uh, hook up with uh, DJ producer Chris Shepard, and did you know fairly soon that you guys had musical chemistry? We did. Um, I used to do a lot of... Um, What's what I'm looking for? Uh, voiceover work, and I used to do a lot of vocal demo work around Toronto. And uh, I had done some work for uh, being Chris's friend, Anthony Vandenberg, at the time. And he recommended me to Greg Cavanaugh. And they called me for a session, and I went in. And at that time, I knew who Chris was. I knew about the music, but I really wasn't uh, deeply in the, on the dance music scene. So they were like, scream, hold the note, do this. And I was just like, what? But <laughs> <laughs> the song came out really, really well. And uh, that was Dreamcatcher. And it actually went on to uh, be nominated for Juno's. So it, the chemistry was very quick. And it hit radio and it did really well. That's awesome. And then how soon did we yeah. go from that to Love, Inc.? You know what? We ended up doing a few singles. We did Astroplane, Dreamcatcher, I'm in Love With You, all those Canadian classics. And then uh, I think within, the, uh, I'd say probably about a year or two, um, Chris disbanded BKS and then called me up and said, listen, I'm starting this new group, Love, Inc., and I want you to be the vocals on it. I was like, absolutely. And uh, that was it. You know, I had no idea it was going to be as huge as it was. It was it was an amazing experience. I want to take you just sidebar for just a sec with regards to dance sure. music in Canada because, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of people like, you know, CeCe Peniston and Crystal Waters, like all those early yeah. 90s dance, right? And so, yeah, yeah. and I, I remember being a kid in Montreal and hearing more of that, right? And But having to get it from the States. And yeah. and because I think there's this, this attitude in Canada that it's either all rock or a bit of pop. Yeah. And so what yeah. was it like being in that scene and being really one of the the people that that brought it forward, you know, it's an honor to have um, forged a path 
uh, in that genre specifically. Um, I would refer to dance music sometimes where the underdogs of the industry um, because, you know, people don't see it as real music, you know, it's, it's DJ driven or it's electronic. Um, I think, Dance and house music is is a, a very creative, highly creative genre. It has so many subgenres, and it's. Um, I've been really lucky that my voice lends itself to many different styles of music and many different subgenres within uh, the dance um, genre. So I've done house music, I've done pop dance, dance pop, I've done it all. So it feels really great to be part of it. Was it hard breaking through, uh, Simone, like in, in Canada, like in, like were, were record labels willing or, or even just like radio, were they, were they willing to take that chance? I know eventually they did, but did you have to bang down doors? You know, probably with BKS, I imagine, but we did have a great label. Um, quality music was fantastic. And then once, uh, you know, BKS disbanded and Loving kicked in. We had the big machine, BMG uh, Canada. So they rolled it out and uh, had it everywhere. And it didn't take long for it to, to kick off and, and, do, and do well. Joining us on the Kelly Alexander Show is Juno Award-winning recording artist Simone Denny. Make sure you follow her on Instagram, at Simone Denny Music. So back to Love, Inc. for just a sec. I want to talk about the uh, songwriting, I guess, for like Broken Bones, for example, because that just mm-hmm. is in everyone's consciousness to this day. Even if you don't know exactly what's going on you know that song so how how did those sessions come about because did you know you had fire in a bottle oh yeah um that was an interesting session. I was actually pretty sick on that one. <laughs> it's a funny story. I had like the worst allergies of my life on that session. It was quite funny. But we had Brad and I sat down and really um, put together those lyrics um, and we just on the spot, literally shuffled them all together and got on the mic and did it. And that's what you're hearing. And it, it, it was it was awesome. That's awesome. Now, can we talk a little bit, too, about songwriting in general for dance music? Because I've had this conversation before with uh, Crystal Waters. And, okay. uh, like, where... Because um, I think, she, yeah, she's basically sort of in, undertone, too, that, that, that dance music has been looked down on in the past. Not now, but in the past. Yeah. And I know, for yeah. example, like... You know, for example, when she dropped uh, Gypsy Woman, you know, everyone was in the clubs, losing their mind and all that sort of stuff. But it's actually a song about a homeless woman. So there's meaning behind it. So I know as a dance fan, I get angry when I hear, you know, rock people or whatever saying, oh, it's not real music. It's not it's not music of substance. But then you have a song like a Gypsy Woman that really you know has a social socially conscious message behind it. So um, what's your take on songwriting in dance and and why you think uh, it doesn't get the, the, the respect that it did or in the past? Anyways, um, no, I, I still think it does. Yeah, it doesn't get the respect it deserves. Uh, still to this day, um, I think writing music or writing songs or writing good music is writing good music. You can have socially conscious songs regardless of the genre. You know, so if you have a message to put out, you can write it and put it out. We had one in in uh, Love Inc. We had homeless, right? And that was uh, people are very aware of that song, and it was the same issue, homelessness. So you know, I. I, I, I think that's nonsense. I think good songwriting is good songwriting, and it doesn't matter what genre you're in. Get the message out, put it to a great beat, get a great hook, let people hear the message, let the message be heard. Now, when you were in Love Inc. and things started to blow up, can you talk to us about that roller coaster ride? Because I remember back in the day, like it just seemed like you guys were everywhere. Did you enjoy the ride? Were you able to enjoy it? I did enjoy the ride. That that really kind of hit us out of nowhere. Like I knew BMG, I knew what was you know all the, the plans that were in place, but it it literally went boom. Um, it was at, at times hard to catch up with it, and it, it really kind of hit home when I would go shopping or go to the mall or walk down the street and people's reaction of either following me or screaming or things like that. <laughs> where I was just like, oh oh yeah, oh, okay. 
you know, because to me, I'm just living my life. And uh, when you when you get that reaction from people, I remember one time I went to a, a I think it was Britney Spears had a it was just before she was about to blow up. Actually, it was at a club here in downtown Toronto, and I'd taken my sister because she was a big fan, and we were just walking in, and the crowd swarmed so intensely that it separated me from her. And she was a little girl at the time. Uh, you know, it was very overwhelming for her and for me, you know, so we're very much about just living my life and doing my thing. So when, when it blew up, seeing your face on posters and, and, and hearing the song everywhere and people's reaction, it was for moments, it was overwhelming, but I, I still enjoyed it. It was good to see that you put in such hard work, created something very unique and that people were reacting to it and feeling it. And for in particular, Superstar and Broken Bones are songs that to this day, I still get uh, so many stories about how it impacted their lives. So many people's lives in so many positive ways. It's a, it's a really cool thing. When you were traveling across the country promoting those songs and, and all that sort of stuff, uh, I'm just wondering, because I because of you being in the dance music realm, did you get different reactions from different cities? Like, I can only, I can only imagine what Montreal must have been like, because we love to dance and party. So I'm just wondering what the vibe was like in different cities across our country. Oh, it, it was it was party central everywhere we went. It was honestly, it was a party everywhere we went. Everybody loved the songs. It, it was great. That's it was great. I, I got to say, it was pretty consistent. Cool. Now, wh- what did you feel like when you got the news that it was blowing up in other parts of the world? That was cool. Um, again, just very, for me, those things humble me more. Uh, we did a show once in Tenerife, and it was, I think, the largest crowd we ever performed to. It was 250,000 people. And so to walk on stage um, in Tenerife and start to sing Broken Bones, and they speak Spanish. They don't speak English, and they knew every word. And they, I basically say, said the first line, and they took the whole audience took over. Uh, was just mind blowing, and that's that's what we experienced uh, everywhere we went over there. Ireland, it was the same thing. It was it was this intense um, love and appreciation for the song, and the love that you felt back from the audience was 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 intense. It was it's great. Out of all the songs that you released as part of Love Inc., do you have a favorite? And is it probably not the ones that we think might be the favorite, right? No, no. I, there's a, <laughs> I would say it's probably the same ones everybody loves. I love Superstar. Okay. I love Superstar for many reasons. Like I said, the impact that it's had and that it continues to have on people. Um, one moment really stands out in my mind, particularly it was in Canada, near Niagara Falls. Dead Mouse was actually the sound guy. This is before Dead Mouse was a, a, a huge entity. And uh, I was backstage and a young lady came back and she said, you know, my boyfriend uh, just survived an accident and he used Superstar to uh, recover. He was a, a paraplegic. And she said, would you uh, dedicate the song to him? I was like, absolutely. So I walked out on stage and there he was at the front of the stage in the wheelchair. And I, we did the show, and I, when we got to Superstar, I stopped the show, and I said, would you guys help me sing this? And there he was at the front singing it, and the whole audience turned and helped me sing it to him. Oh, that's amazing. That is a moment that I will never forget as long as I live. Okay. And for me, if, if that is my legacy in life, to have sung such a beautiful song that continues to impact people in a positive way, then I've done my job. Amazing. I'm very, very, I take, I take those songs, I take my performances very seriously when I sing those songs. It, it means something to me, and I put it out with love, and I sing it with love, and to get that back from people, 
is a beautiful thing for me. It's very fulfilling. I want to know what it feels like when you're on stage, because I've asked this of Crystal, and I, and I want your take on, on this with your own song, because okay. I've asked this of Crystal when, for example, she performs Gypsy Woman, because obviously she's going to yeah. sing that song till she dies, and that's, that's yeah. the way it is. <laughs> and you're going to sing Broken Bones, and you're going to sing Here Comes yes. Sunshine Till You Die. Yes. Um, every yes. time you play those songs, uh, like what happens to you when you hear those first chord progressions? Like, Do you, do you still get the tingles? Absolutely, every time. Okay. Every time, because with, with, the, with the first few chords comes the, ah, from the audience. <laughs> so <laughs> the energy spikes from zero to a million in, in, in a split second. And it, it, like I said, the energy in the room, I'm all about interacting and connecting. So when I look out into that audience, um, I always tell this story, but very truly, when uh, my mom actually came to see the shows in the early days of loving and she saw the reaction when people would react to superstar and she pulled me aside and she said, let me tell you this. And I need you to remember this as long as you live. And every time you sing the song, there are people falling in love, two friends meeting for the first time, you're uplifting someone, you're releasing someone. And every time you sing it, remember that. So every time I'm about to walk on stage, that's what comes into my mind. And what's cool is I look out into the audience and I see it happening right in front of my eyes, right in front of my face. So for me, um, these songs have a lot of meaning and it's a responsibility. And every time I walk on that stage and I hear those chords, I'm like, let's do it. That's fantastic. And your mom, by the way, wise woman. I love her. She <laughs> is, she is. She is. I love her. I'm going to keep her. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Uh, hanging out uh, with us on the Kelly Alexander Show, uh, Juno Award-winning recording artist, Simone Denny. Again, follow her on Instagram, at Simone Denny Music. How did you know it was time to pull the plug on Love, Inc. and, and move forward? You know, it's, it's typical rock and roll uh, or a music industry, you know, um, groups disagree, dynamics change, uh, people's goals change. And it had just gotten to that point for me where I didn't feel like I was appreciated and, you know, or my efforts weren't appreciated. I think it was more like, you're just a singer, get out and do your job. And I'm like, no, 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 this, I actually enjoy what I do. It means something to me. And, uh, if that's not going to be appreciated, I got to go. So, you know, very simple. It was a very simple, uh, you just realize that's it. It's time to move on and, and move on to new things, find new goals, start new music, start new ventures. When you became a solo artist, um, what was the most challenging part about that, not having the group or just the, 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 the vibe of the group behind you? You know, what? It, it wasn't that difficult for me to make the transition because before Loving, before BKS, I was just a musician, you know, so I was accustomed to singing with bands or singing uh, solo. So for me, it was just going back to what I'd always done. So it was, um, in terms of the dyna- dynamics of being Loving, I was the only vocalist. So um, people wanted to have me come in to sing the songs or sing other songs because that face that they remembered. It was, it was my, my face and my voice. So, you know, I, I made the transition very easily. Awesome. And how did you find, did you find, I should ask it, th- it this way, did you find that your songwriting changed uh, because you were now writing as a solo act? Absolutely. Um, you know, I tend to adapt to whatever situation, whatever, um, whoever I'm working with, whatever writers, whatever group I'm working with, it, it's always a creative process. So you, you must adapt. You must do that. It's, it goes without saying. Now, I wanted to ask you this. Um, when it came to, uh, you know, getting into the 2000s and then sort of pushing forward, how important was it for you to eventually put out that solo album? Very important. Um, I felt uh, I had been away from live music too long. Um, I had been through a lot of stuff. I'm a cancer survivor. So I had been through, uh, you know, losing people in my life, um, 
other family members getting sick and having to take care of them. I, I pulled away from music for about seven or eight years. Um, and so it was a very hard period in my life. And although it was a darker sound from what people were accustomed to, it did, really did reflect uh, the eight years that I had been away. You know, and it was important for me as a musician to get back to live music and say, hey, I still do this. And this is I love this, too. You know, just so that people would see a, a full spectrum of who I am as, a, as an artist and as a, as a woman. You know, it's like, it can't be always happy and rainbows. You know, mm-hmm. we all go through, through things. My audience has grown up. People have been divorced. People have gone through life experiences. And that album reflected that. Now, talk to us about where you are today. First of all, I found you again because of a recent collaboration you did with CeCe Peniston and 40 East. So yes. can you talk a little bit about that and then what, what else is going on? Oh, that was a great collaboration. Um, I don't know if everybody realizes 480 East are Boomtang boys, Boomtang Music, who did You Can Be My Squeeze Toy. <laughs> so they are, they, are, they are icons in dance music in Canada as well. And they're, they're just brilliant musicians and great people. And uh, they called me in because they had a track for CC and they, they said, you know, we really love your vocals. Would you mind, you know, it, doing the background vocal on this? And I was like, sure, let me hear it. And they put it on and I literally was dancing through the entire session. I, I had a great time. And uh, it's such a great song. And um, it's full of energy and positivity. And, and CC did such a brilliant vocal on it. I, I, I'm, I'm honored to have been part of it. Fantastic. And I, I did want to ask you, because of what you went through in the 90s, um, I know Crystal calls some of her uh, other, you know, counterparts her road dogs. So are you road dogs with those, like with the CCs, with the Crystals, with the, the Martha Washes of the world? You know what? I have had the pleasure of, I don't know if Crystal will remember me meeting her, but I, I, I would say road dogs with quite a few. Janice Robinson, Anaya Day, a lot of the girls. We all bump into each other. Uh, Lane McCrae from uh, Labouche. All road dogs. We all we've all hung out and bumped into each other along the way, and they're, they're, it's, it's a, a sisterhood. You know, it is what it is. Tara, all, all, there's so many different. Um, see, Austin. There's so many of us from that era who had such amazing hits that you know we all at some point congregate on shows, and it's like, hey, 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 yeah, I've heard your track, or oh, you're Simone, or you're, you know, it, it's it's a, it's a very cool thing when we all meet, and it's a lot of good energy. In the room, we, we've all been through things in this industry. We all understand each other and we all respect each other. Well, as a kid from the 90s, especially a dance kid, I it's just such an honor to speak to you and to and to know that oh, you and thanks. oh, it's just it's just fantastic. Like, and I love that you called it a sisterhood because I have such love for you, for Crystal, for Cece, for Martha, for like the like oh, you said, the list goes you. on. And uh, I think it's great and fantastic that. Uh, you guys are still doing your thing um, and that you're yeah, still being featured on, on new music. And so talk to us about your latest project that's coming up. I know you're, you're going to continue to do some work with 480 East. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm about to do some, um, some music with 480 East. I'm actually really excited about it. We just had a meeting about uh, two weeks ago. Uh, but now it's Christmas, so we're all taking a break. But I think uh, come January, we're going to dive in. I'm also getting back uh, to do some music with Phoenix Music. I just released a track. I, will, I was featured on a track with them um, on Phoenix Music. And Todd Terry just did a remix. It's called That sound so that's out there on track source so people can check it out it's a very cool uh, remake of a track uh i'm also working with uh james bradshaw and andy reed on some new house tracks um we're about to start um i think january as well so 2019 recording wise is going to be very busy so you're going to hear a lot of new stuff from me awesome will you promise to come back on the show 
Anytime. <laughs> you know where to find me anytime. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, uh, and I did want to ask you just before you go, um, sure. when it comes to uh, like where you are and your fans, what do they mean to you to this day? Oh, my gosh. My fans mean everything. As I said, when I look out into the audience, the smile, the joy, they're in the moment with me. That is my world. I am all about it. It is the honor of my lifetime to be able to perform songs um, that have resonated for 20 years with people. It, it, it blows my mind that these songs are 20 years old. And the love that I still get when I perform, I say thank you to all of you for continuing to keep the music alive, to coming to the shows, for the stories you tell me about how it's impacted your life. It, it is the joy of my life to do it. And I thank you. I am humbled beyond humbled that I get to do it. So thank you. Well, on behalf of all of the uh, Canadian dance kids out there, because like I said, we didn't really have a lot of people to look up to. So when you guys came along, it was just fantastic. And again, it's a true thank honor to have so you on much. the show. So I send you the biggest hug. Oh, thank you. And I'll take that hug. And I'm sending it right back. That is a Juno award-winning artist, uh, Simone Denny. Again, make sure to follow her on social media at Simone Denny Music. Don't forget that you can follow us on all of our social media by jumping onto our website, kellyalexandershow.com. And joining us now, our music editor, Sharon Highland. Hello, Sharon. Oh, hello, Kello. Hello. So this past week, we got the news about uh, who the inductees would be for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Class of 2019. Very exciting. To no one's surprise, Kelly Alexander overjoyed that <laughs> Janet Jackson is part of that class. So uh, let's start with her before we get to some of the other acts. Uh, first of all, she has sold millions of albums around the world. She's basically won every single award going, Grammys, American Music Awards. And just this past week, uh, she was actually honored over in Hong Kong uh, with the Inspiration Award. And it was a huge, huge honor for her to go over there and accept that. Um, so thoughts on Janet Jackson finally getting in. Was it time? I don't know, Kel. I'm not sure that, uh, I'm not sure. I think you are very sure. As I a, think she should have been in like a long time ago, as soon as she was eligible. Um, yeah, I think there's other bands that could have been ahead of her. I'm happy for her. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to see that she's doing everything that she should be doing at this point in her life. I loved the speech at, the, uh, at those awards in Hong Kong where she thanked everybody. And at the end, uh, she thanked uh, Aisa. Oh, her, yes. her son, Issa. Yeah. Yep. Issa saying, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Mama loves you, and yep. <laughs> which was super cute because her eyes actually lit up. Um, uh, I, I would, I'm, I'm happy for her. I honestly, I'll be honest and say that I don't, your arms are crossed, so you're not ready no. for my questions uh, uh, about uh, Janet uh, Jackson uh, getting into uh, the Rock Hall. Go. Um, but what is it that you think gets Janet Jackson into the Rock Hall? Well, many, many reasons, but I, I think the main one is that she's had extremely, or she's had so many uh, songs and projects that have influenced a multitude of artists coming up behind her. And that includes uh, rock-type music, even though I believe, and we've had this conversation before, that the rock hall, I think that's a umbrella term. Yes. And I don't think you need to be a, a full-on rock artist to be in there, just like some of the hip-hop artists that have gotten in, right? So, so I think that her influence, there is no doubt that she has influenced so many artists, including Beyonce, including Britney Spears, including, 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 like the list goes on. Uh, so to me, it's a no-brainer. She's influenced culture times a million. So there you go. There we are. Answered my question. Uh, Answered my question that you asked me. Exactly. And I do have one more quick question for you about uh, Janet. And I I feel this is a very deep question, so ready for this. What is, uh, or what are the best characteristics that Janet possesses as an an artist in your mind? In my mind, I think uh, perseverance. I think uh, clarity of uh, of mind and art and uh, 
personal and professional and how the lines get uh, somewhat like blazed into the ground somehow. Mm-hmm. And yet it's important to not have them so firm, hard and fast. I think that she's able to 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 get it done mm-hmm. as a human, yep. as an artist and um and 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 reflect exactly what she's got going on and somehow mirror that to uh, a general experience and that's why she has a uh, the Jan fam, mm-hmm, yeah. you know, I think that's that's why it, it's so uh, it's so present and so strong. She's doing a lot right, and she's not. Uh, it's no sacrifice to. Uh, I think she pays attention to all the uh, pays attention to all the elements of her life so that uh, sh- she's living her best. So, out of the other inductees, uh, Def Leppard, Stevie Nicks, The Cure, Radiohead, Roxy Music, and The Zombies, who are you most excited about? I am probably most excited about uh, the zombies because uh, as a band who uh, who were uh, forging, fighting the good fight as part of the British invasion and then to evolve into uh, uh, Rod Argent as the keyboard player and principal member of the zombies and then he went on to form his own band Argent with a classic uh, anthem called Hold Your Head Up. Um, I think it it needed to be done. I think the members of the British Invasion, those people that had success, that sort of laid a new groundwork for that time of music, need to be acknowledged. So I'm happy for the Zombies because they've been nominated already. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am also happy for Stevie Nicks. She's in already with Fleetwood Mac, but she's also now the first woman to be inducted twice. There are other members like Eric Clapton and Rod Stewart and... Uh, I'm forgetting the third, but that are in more than once. Mm-hmm. She's the first woman to be in more than once. Fantastic. So I'm happy for her. So uh, overall, what do you, when you look at the class as a whole, very eclectic, I would say. And that's the other thing that they're very skilled at doing. They don't make it just about rock. And I am on board for that. I'm a big fan of it not being just rock uh, because of how each genre of music affects the other and always has. Um, but yeah, you look at this and it's, it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm impressed that Radiohead got in. I knew that they would eventually, but yep. I, this is, I think, their first year nomination, I think. I feel like it, yeah. Uh, so good on them for that. Roxy Music, they're classy. Mm-hmm. I like that. Def Leppard I find funny because um, Def Leppard were touring with Kiss back when uh, Gene Simmons was all about, it should only be rock in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and none of this hip-hop stuff is rock music and whatever. And Joe Elliott at the time was very like, yeah, that. <laughs> so I was at least, you know, the fan vote, which we know counts for like a fraction mm-hmm. of the overall vote, but it's nice to give the fans their say. Uh, and it was an overwhelming say for uh, for Def Leppard to get in on, on that end of things. But Joe Elliott... Um, he said it was something that we never paid any attention to for the longest time because we never thought we'd fit in, I suppose. And then he went on to say that uh, he acknowledged the fans saying it's really hard to ignore that many people voting. So getting in for the fans is what we're most happy about because they wanted it probably even more than we did. Fantastic. Yeah, so good on them. Uh, one last quick question because our boy LL was you know, in the running, didn't make it. He probably got caught up in the... They probably have him booked for something else. Yeah. He just thought he was... Making that list, he's so everywhere all the time. Yeah. yeah. So, I, but I, do you think he'll eventually make it in? I think if we're comparing note for note, yeah. imagine if LL got in ahead of Janet. 
That Look at been. your face. That says it all. She's like ready for a street fight. It's too much. That's <laughs> too much. Can't <laughs> handle it. Uh, so again, congratulations to all the artists making it into uh, the Rock Hall in 2019. Again, uh, Janet Jackson, Jeff Leppard. Let's try that again. Jeff Leppard. <laughs> Def Leppard. Stevie Nicks, the, the Cure, Radiohead, uh, Roxy Music, and the Zombies. And the ceremony, by the way, takes place March 29th at the Barclay Center in Brooklyn, New York. Sharon, merci beaucoup. And bienvenue. <laughs> that is our music editor, Sharon Hyland. Don't forget that you can catch both Sharon and I uh, co-hosting our other podcast, 90s Now, which you can grab on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, and our website, 90snow.com. The Kelly Alexander Show. We'd love for you to subscribe to our show. We are on major podcast platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. Now it's time to chat with Rob and Tony of 480 East, who are a Toronto-based electro-jazz duo, also known as the Boomtang Boys, who produce hit dance songs like Squeeze Toy, Pictures, and the Juno Award-winning song from Camille, A Deeper Shade of Love. They've recently released their new EP called Four on the Floor, which features an amazing collaboration with CeCe Peniston, called Are You Ready? Rob and Tony, welcome to the Kelly Alexander Show. Thanks, Hi, Kelly. Kelly. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Oh, so happy to have you on the show. Um, and I can't wait to start talking about the EP, but I got to bring you back for a little bit. First of all, how did you each get involved in, in dance music? And then how did you meet and decide to work together? Uh, well, I guess I, I was into it first. That's This is Tony speaking. Um, uh, my brother Paul and I started a, a label called Fun Wow Records. And then um, soon after that, met Rob. And for the next, what, eight, nine years, we started doing uh, remixes and some dance music. And, uh, and that got us the attention of Virgin Records. And that got us the, the, the Greatest Hits Volume 1, which was our first album on, on Virgin. And, uh, and then during that period, we were sort of breaking up that style of production with uh, just anything different than pop sort of dance music. And one of those was our, our love of sort of groove, uh, you know, uh, contemporary jazz, sort of fusion. Um, Hyphenated jazz, we like to call it. Yeah, sort of, <laughs> you know, down-tempo usually or mid-tempo kind of groovy stuff. Um, and That's how 480 East was born. I think that's where you're going with that story. Yeah, because uh, the, the, the Boomtang Boys pretty much ended in the, in the 90s uh, with, the, uh, with the end of uh, uh, Virgin Records. So... That's that's how that shifted, and then we went off and started touring with the 480 project in the early 2000s. That's super cool. I did want to ask you too, um, being a, like a 90s dance kid. I know that when I was uh, younger and in the 90s, a lot of my dance music came from the states, like the Crystal Waters and the CC Pennisons of the world, of course. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, you guys being a part of the dance scene in Canada, was it challenging back then? Because I know, like the perception of Canadian music, especially I would say back around that time, and even obviously earlier than that in the 80s. Uh, is that like Canada's a rock country and that's how we are. So was it challenging to kind of help move the scene forward? Uh, we, when we started making records in the early 90s, we were, uh, we were basically dealing overseas with the UK market. So we were making like house 12 inches and, and servicing one stops and, and servicing DJs directly over there. So we weren't even, we weren't focusing on Canada at all and we weren't even focused on the States. It was all kind of overseas. And then when we started, when dance started getting more popular in Canada, we started getting hired by the major labels and, and by other artists to do remixes. And that's what sort of led to our, I mean, you know, dance is always there at bubbling under, right? Every once in a while it comes up to the surface and, and, and gets mainstream and then goes back under for a while and, and rock takes over again. Yeah, but so you know, in, the, in the late 90s when dance was kind of coming back to the surface, we had sort of established ourselves 
internationally and and then uh, after that domestically as remixers and it was sort of the the, the whole boomtang boys thing with virgin was uh, th- it was their concept to to since they were importing all this dance music they thought well we have this talent here in Canada that's making dance music why don't we just kind of try and compete with the aquas and the you know all the other sort of imported pop dance and and do it domestically so that's how that kind of came out but yeah i mean everything's challenging in canada right we we're dwarfed by the states obviously and but the early days kelly like when we when, before rob and rob and i really started going in 91 or boomtang really started taking off uh but just prior to that we were trying to get paul and i were trying to do records uh, like trying to get stuff pressed. And you're right, you couldn't do 12 inches in Canada at the time. And you're right, it was totally dominated by rock. Um, in fact, there was, I know from friends I had at some of the uh, majors that there was a sort of a, an animosity to hip hop, which was starting to take off, at least a pushback from the rock community. And the funny thing was that the hip hop was paying for a lot of the rock records <laughs> as far as what the right labels were making. So anyway, it was just, you're right. We, the focus was all sort of rock here in Canada. And that's why we looked to the UK. We didn't really have any connections in the States at the time in the late eighties, early nineties. So, uh, through a connection of a friend in England, we were able to start getting terms at a pressing plant and start doing 12 inches out of England. So that's how it happened. Then all the records came back to Canada that way. And then we became noticed for our remix work. Can you talk to us a little bit about the remix stuff? Like, was there a particular project or song that you did when all of a sudden the doorbell kept ringing for you guys? Yeah. Um, yeah, there were a, a, a bunch of them around the same time. I mean, uh, you know, Biff Naked's uh, Spaceman was a big one. That was for sure. Um, I'm just trying to think what one we did for Sony. Uh, we got licensed to Sony. Oh, Philosopher Kings was one of the early ones that yeah, did really Charms, well. Philosopher Kings. Uh, that, was that we did for those guys. Um, the Econoline Crush remix we did, which was, you know, less dancey. It was more kind of electronic, but still rocky. That did really well, too. I mean, it's at, at that point when we started getting hired to do remixes, we weren't getting hired so much to do, quote unquote, dance remixes. It was to to do radio remixes. And at that time, dance radio was kind of becoming the big thing. So. Yeah. You know, energy radio and such. Can you talk to us a little bit, yeah. too, about your role with uh, Camille with A Deeper Shade of Love? Because that won that Juno Award for Best Dance Recording. Um, like, how did that all come about? Uh, well, Sony approached us, uh, you know, with this uh, up-and-coming artist they had, Camille. And, and uh, yeah, I guess that was in... No, oh, set 96. I'm trying to remember. How, it's a long time ago, Kelly. We're, yeah, and Kevin Unger <laughs> we're from, throwing way back. Yeah, Kevin Unger from Sony had contacted. We'd already done a bunch of mixes for him at that point. And... Uh, and so, as Rob said, there was this upcoming artist and uh, Camille, and I think uh, they were looking for production and they were looking for material. So we we basically signed on as producers to that project, and then literally went through you know cassette tapes yeah. full of uh, f- full of songs, and and that song stood out for us, and and uh, that's why we picked it, obviously, and yeah, went on to to great success. And we've since, you know, we did a a follow-up, I guess, a couple of years after with Camille. And we've actually continued to work with Camille over the years. We did something with her, what was just last year or a couple of years ago? Two years ago, yeah. She's down in New York now. Uh, Joining us on the Kelly Alexander Show is Toronto-based electro-jazz duo 480 East. Make sure you follow them uh, by hitting up their website, 480East.com. You can grab all their social media handles. Um, I wanted to just get your perspective on this for for, uh, being involved in in 90s dance in in general. Um, I remember... 
you know, hearing back in the day, because it really bothers me when, I'll, and I'll just put this under an umbrella, so hopefully no one's going to shoot me, but when, like, rock people <laughs> are always like, dance sucks, and it doesn't mean anything, and there's no, like, message behind the songs and all that stuff, and it really drives me bananas, because I think there's been really... Um, you know, like amazing work that's come out of the dance community. And I'll just throw out, for example, this is my go-to is um, Crystal Waters' Gypsy Woman. Like it's a song about homeless, homeless, like a homeless woman. And so there was a message behind the song and there continues to be other artists that, that produce songs like that. So has it ever like annoyed the hell out of you? Like it annoys me when, when our, our dance community gets looked down upon? Well, I'll tell, for me personally, uh, you know, before I met Tony and and his brother Paul, who was a who was a, a working DJ at the time, like I came from from a rock and and really class. I was a classical kid, a classical piano player, and I was one of those people, you know, in high school who who didn't really give much thought to dance music other than, you know, like I don't really get it. It doesn't, you know, it's it's musically very simple, so it didn't appeal to me. Then when I met Tony, you know, I always had an interest in in production and recording and. Tony and Paul had some gear, so we started hanging out together and, and, and working on records. And I really got very quickly uh, uh, an education in dance music through sort of listening, actually listening to these records and, and, and starting to appreciate how they, you know, how they're geared to the dance floor and how they work. You know, it's not, it's not like making a rock song where you've got a necessarily a verse and a chorus and, and a certain kind of shape and everything's got to fit in, in three and a half minutes. It's a different sort of arrangement. It's a different, you know, there's a different purpose to the music. And when I, you know, wrap my head around that, that different mindset, it gave me a, a huge appreciation for the, for the genre. Obviously I went on to, to make a ton of it and, and we're still doing it. So yeah, it does bother me when people sort of blindly dismiss dance music because they don't really understand it, they're look they're not looking at it in the right context. Yeah, so. and, you know, and a lot. I'm just thinking of when when we got started. You know, in, uh, in one of the first things we did, it wasn't paid for, but it was, and still actually splicing tape was a remix that we did for um, the NXS track. Um, You're one of my kind. You know, what's um, I need, need you tonight, and uh, which is a class. You know, there's a, a rock track that's really brought into a dance genre you know it's treated that way that tune and it was just a massive song and a lot of a lot of bands do that like i mean even the, cl the, the classic rock stuff uh you know when they when uh you know when um rolling stones did uh uh you know shattered and that whole sort of they were they were following along the disco scene that they had to they had to become relevant so i think dance music has always been relevant so is rock and uh you know sometimes the two come together but uh, you know, I don't think it's as as disposable. Uh, you know, I think in both cases, it's. Uh, I think I think the, the critics take it too seriously. It's it's you know it's entertainment and in, in, at the end, and people are just trying to have a good time and they want to dance, and you shouldn't take it so seriously. Now, when it comes to uh, to four eighty East, talk a little bit about I guess like um, I know you sort of off the top, you sort of mentioned how you guys came about to start doing the project, but how do you guys go about um, I guess picking songs that you want to work on or, or or knowing that you like for example with four on the Floor, it's an EP. Did you know for a while that that's what you were going to produce? Was an EP coming out? Was your next project? Yeah, kind of. I mean, you know, like Tony said, the the sort of Boomtang Boys dance thing uh, pretty much came to an end in the, well the early two thousands. You know, we did a second album for Virgin in like two thousand two or three. And that was just, or you say 2001? Yeah, because it was the 9-11 crushed the record. Anyway. And th but that was pretty much the end of that. And we had been doing 480 East as a side project. And and so ever since then, that has sort of become our main, you know, we've continued to do production and remix for, for other artists and, and, and all different genres of music. But we got more into film and TV and commercial work. 
And 480 East has sort of been our main musical outlet for the last, you know, 16, whatever years since then. Um, and, you know, our guiding principle for that has always been, it's not necessarily dance music, but it, it's important that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's more jazz infused and a lot of different sort of styles fused together. But the important thing is that it has to have a, a groovy sort of underpinning. So it's not, you know, there's a lot of, there's always been a lot of, of dance influence on it. And when it came time to to work on this EP, we're kind of at this point we're in the process of kind of rebooting Boomtang as a label, and and because it's after all these years in the wilderness, it it feels like there are some ways forward. You know, streaming is becoming much more established, and it's it's still the wild west, but it's it's looking like there's there's clearer paths forward on the business side. Uh, so we're we're in the process of rebooting our our label, and like I said, and it kind of made sense with the. There seems to be, I'm sure you would agree, currently a, a resurgence in interest in '90s music and '90s style production, and so it kind of made sense. We'd been intending to do something more dance oriented with 480s for a while, so it kind of made sense to to just do an EP with that sort of theme. Yeah, so it was a little more focused, this record, as opposed... I mean, not that the other ones aren't focused, but we really made an attempt in this record because we knew we'd be working with a vocalist. Uh, we didn't know right away it would be Cece, but we knew we'd be going back to that sort of sound. And uh, she was top of the list, and we were lucky to get her. Um, but, uh, you know, it was... We, we, we definitely made an attempt to, to make a, a more house-infused 480, you know, uh, with a lot of the 480 ingredients, but more focused with a vocalist in mind. You know? Yeah, and it just felt like the time was right, because we were, you know, sort of going back to our roots in a lot of ways, so... Can yeah, you, just, can you uh, talk together. to us a little bit about how the collaboration with CC came about? Because honestly... How I found it was I follow her on Instagram religiously because I love this woman. And so she had this video up, I guess, of her performing in Australia or something. And she just started singing, uh, I guess, the, your new song, Are You Ready? And I was like, what is this? And then thankfully she had tagged you guys on her Instagram account. And so then I hunted you guys down and just completely fell in love. So how did the collaboration with Cece come about? Yeah, well, we, you know, when we first started throwing around ideas for, for this EP, we knew we wanted to put you know, at least a couple of vocal tracks on it. So we started thinking, okay, who should we get to feature on this? Because because 480 East has historically been mostly instrumental. Yeah. Uh, almost exclusively. So, you know, we, we basically said, okay, well, what, who would be our dream sort of short list of, of 90s house divas we could approach to, to, to get on this thing? And CeCe was at the top of the list. And uh, it was like CeCe, Robin S., and, and Crystal Waters were like the first three that came to mind. And... So we were sort of, you know, this was all happening while we're we're doing a lot of other stuff. So we're, you know, we're thinking, sort of starting to explore ways of getting in touch with these, with these people. And then a, a friend of ours, a sax player who we've played with a bunch of times on some of our 480 East uh, live gigs, Art Sherrod Jr., he posted something on Facebook about a gig he was doing with CeCe Peniston. I thought, what? You know, Art knows CeCe? That's crazy. Yeah, so he reached out to Art and he said, yeah, she's my girl. I've been, you know, I played in all her stuff. So Art became the bridge uh, between the yeah, two of us. so he basically facilitated the introduction. And yeah. then once we got on a on a conference call and, and started talking, CeCe's based, as you probably know, bit down in Phoenix. So we talked on the phone a bunch of times and, and she, you know... Obviously, she she didn't totally know who we were, but she, we weren't just like, you know, obviously not crazy people just calling her out of the blue because we had some mutual friends. I also found out we have some other mutual friends in the business, too. So we, you know, she... she yeah, uh, she obviously checked her stuff out, knew yeah. her for real, so... So then we just, uh, 
you know, she's very busy. She's, you know, I think she's in Africa right now. She was just in Australia, like you said. She's she's always on the road. So it was kind of hard to pin down for a while uh, dates. So we eventually, uh, you know, I guess in the early spring, we finally said, okay, look, let's let's just pick some dates. Yeah. Let's, I think it was in June. We yeah, said, okay, let's block out a few days in June. Let's get get them in the calendar and let's book flights and let's get her up here. So we we brought her up to Toronto for uh, a couple of days, put her up in a nice hotel, and and basically hung out and made music. And it was yeah. great. And we made a couple of tunes. So this that that's not the only one. There's another. So there's more with CC potentially coming. There's definitely more. Yeah, we've yeah. got we've got another one in the can, and and we're I'm sure we're going to be working on uh, on even more new stuff together. Yeah, you've just yeah. made my Christmas, guys. <laughs> and the, you know, the, the other funny thing is, uh, well, you probably saw on her Instagram. She also posted a video of what, uh, she was down there with Robin S at this uh, radio station in Australia, and so she's got this video clip of Robin S. Uh, they just finished playing the track, and Robin was saying like, "Oh man, I love this song," and and that night she called uh, Tony. And uh, CC yeah. called and said, oh, "Robin wants to talk to you." She put Robin on the phone, and 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 uh, so Robin expressed interest in working with us as well. So, who knows what's going to come down the pike this year? That is yeah. awesome. Uh, I wanted to ask you too, with regards to the song itself, because it's just so amazing. Are you ready? And um, like, did she? Did you guys have the music already written when she came up, or did you kind of vibe with her in the studio to see a little bit how she wanted to do this vocally? Yeah, we had it. We had it. Uh, we had that tune basically largely written and roughed yeah. out, but you know, obviously leaving room for her to put her stamp on it, which she certainly did. I mean, you know, we knew she was we knew she was good, but, but until we got her in the booth and uh, you know hit record and and heard her, you know, unleash on the track, we had no idea how good she was. She's really <laughs> amazing. Yeah, she's still so got the chops. She, yeah, so she, you know, she she definitely uh, put her put her stamp on that tune, and then we uh, went ahead and just co-wrote another track, just on the spot between the three of us. Yeah, so and that was nice and smooth, you know. And in twenty minutes, I think we had most of the lyrics down and and uh, what we wanted to do, and it was great. So she's a lot of fun, lot and really easy to work with, and she's as strong as ever vocally. You know, fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, I love her. I think it's great. And I think that it just like it makes my day every time I see, you know, on Instagram that she's doing her thing. You know, Crystal Waters, I think, is up to like what, it, you know, 18, you know, number one dance hits or something over her career. Like, it's crazy. Like, I'm just so proud of all of them. Robin S, like you said, they just keep doing their thing. <laughs> and uh, it's really yeah, interesting. Yeah. And it's really interesting, too, how well um, I think the LGBTQ community has kept them alive and well for many years, maybe when dance was under the surface because they keep having them come back to pride parades and all that sort of stuff. Oh, oh sure. sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that community is is a big part i mean whenever dance kind of goes away from the mainstream that is a, a large part of where it lives until it comes back right so now uh f- yeah. with regards to the the rest of the ep um like did you already have all the songs ready to go before cc's or did you sort of work like off that and then compose the rest of the tracks yeah we're, we've sort of put it together bit by bit i mean largely what the way we've we're, we're switching things up now with with our whole kind of approach to to releasing uh material like in, in the past it's always been you know wait till we get all the tunes together enough for an album and then finish them all up and put out an album but this time we're like we didn't know if it was going to be you know a couple tracks or a full album or what we just knew we wanted to get started so cc was the we had some of the stuff roughed out but cc's track was the one that like we knew we needed something like that to to wrap it around right so once we had that then we started putting the you know the rest of them together and you know when we had five solid tracks with that well that's that's pretty good for an EP. Let's put that out. But uh, we have several more in the can already that we're going to be releasing uh, early in the new year. Yeah. 
But I mean, you know, that might be single by single, or it might be another EP, or it might be like who knows? The, the whole landscape, the like whole Rob landscape's said, different. You know, we're, we're we're relaunching the label, and a lot of the the ways we uh, looked at things, you know, in earlier times, how to release records is different now. You know. Everything's uh, singles. Yeah, I wanted to get your uh, your thoughts on that because obviously, like, I work in Top 40 Radio and it's a singles market and a lot of the top artists right now, they just kind of release single after single after single and it's rare that you actually get an album. But knowing that you guys uh, have an appreciation for albums, do you, like, how do, how do you justify that in your head? Do you think you're going to have to do single by single or EP by EP um, or will you release a full-length album? Well, I don't know. I think some of the strategy to this is is from the pop market and I don't know necessarily that it's applicable to other styles of music necessarily. But, uh, you know, guys, you know, people like Drake and stuff, they've got a record out every other week, it seems, or another song, rather. Or a double album. (laughs) And the idea is, I guess, to be constantly in the presence of the listener, as opposed to putting out a work and then... Yeah, letting it go for a a year or two. And And, and focusing on the work. (laughs) I mean, it's the music that'll drive uh, it. With with 480 East, it's, you know, it's been album-oriented because it's that kind of thing. We like to take the listener on a journey, right? You can put the thing on and and play play through 10 or 11 tracks and kind of go on a... On a, on a sonic trip, right? Yeah. But uh, like you say, dance music, when, when we first started making dance, the reason we, we, the main reason we gravitated to dance music when we were starting out is because it was singles based. And you, you could very easily get, you know, you could make a single and, and get it out to DJs and you could, you could very cheaply promote music that way, whereas everything else was still solidly album based at that point. Yeah, and just commit to the one song or the one artist with that one song and see, you know, take more of a baby step approach to to it. And even though we did about three years of that, but I think we put out about ten or fifteen singles before we went and did Charlene Smith, which was our first album project. And we had it and it was good. It was successful. We licensed it to um, And it was like a uh, an R and B record. It wasn't a dance record. Yeah. And so that was our first sort of uh, voy you know, foray into more main main street music. And we got our license to Indochina Records, uh Warner International Distributed. Uh and pretty good for, you know, small Canadian outfit. We were able to 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 get our product out to the world. So it was you know, it was it was good times that way and then we just sort of followed up and the same way we sort of got attention for Charlene was through the singles we put out a couple of 12 inches first in England and that got it got attention and that's what got her signed so yeah. and so it, like, they serve a purpose I'm not saying we the singles aren't a bad are a bad thing it's just a it's, it's more of that these days and I don't know it just I guess it gives you a chance to go left or right depending on how it's received I guess maybe? yeah from from what I'm seeing in dance there's it's there's still much more of a singles driven thing going on but outside yeah. of dance there's even even though there's no real reason to have albums if there's no physical product yeah. there still seems to be an appetite for it like uh you know even when you look on spotify it's things are still grouped into albums and and you know or at least eps outside of dance music so i you know we're we're kind of in a we're, we're sort of in an in-between time i think i don't know where I think there always will be an appetite for for collections of tracks, whether they're called albums or whatever. But it's it's we're gonna we're gonna let the music decide, you know, if if it feels like it wants to be grouped together or not. And that, you're seeing that a lot, right? You're seeing a lot of more curated. Remember, sort of a couple of years ago, you didn't see as much curated streaming services. You know what I mean? And now Spotify and Pandora provide all those services. You've got even YouTube does the whole same same thing, and. Uh, you know, I mean, playlist might become the new album. I don't know. I, I, you know, it's uh, it's exciting to see where things are going. 
I wanted to ask you guys um, if it's a challenging balance between your artistic career being 480 East and then the other production work you do, which is obviously still artistic, but I know that it's uh, maybe some of it's a bit more commercial. So how do you balance both sides of you? Plus, also, you guys both have to be businessmen. So Yeah, well, that's why we're doing that other stuff. I mean, Rob didn't mention, but in 2000, we all started having children. Rob's got three, I have two, and uh, they're all you know big boys now, but... Um, Back then, you know, the in 2004, like I said, and 9/11 knocked our second album off the off the uh, the uh, you know chance of making any money table, and like everything, you matter if you remember those times, but any film that had any terrorist overtones, anything sort of with any Middle Eastern reference, uh, was all everyone got all scared and and uh, and shy, and they didn't want to. They were terrified, really. And so our record is called Habibi. Our first single is Habibi off the track. Yeah, it was a great it was a great track. It, yeah. was, it was ready to go out and then uh, In fact it got licensed all over the Middle East, all through EMI services in the Middle East, but it never got released in North America and that's a tragedy. But that's uh, but that's sort of what that was our first shock and then by two thousand four the whole industry was in free fall because uh, you know, MP3 technology was now copyrighted and you could now go free fall go all the way with your MP three players and and uh and people stopped buying and started stop pulling, uh, spending money on music. So that's what happened to us. And we were, we had children. We were like, well, we've got to do something here. So we uh, we took up a lot of television and and uh, film and television work, which was great. And it's actually what I what I did personally uh, when I first started getting into this music, like just in the beginning, the very early days of like eighty eight, eighty nine. And I just had, you know, by luck, and it was good because it helped pay some bills. So same thing. And then, of course, I don't know if, if we've come across this yet, but in our story, but in 2000, uh, around that time, 99, 2000, we did the Hampshire Dance song, which was great and successful and was worldwide in the in the usual realm, physical sales and such. But then it got uh, picked up by Hallmark Cards in around uh, 2006. And became one of the top-selling musical cards, so and that, still is. And that's what really, <laughs> believe it or not, helped save the bacon. Yeah. So <clears throat> you know, you, you can't predict stuff like that. It's one of those things. It's like you know, uh, viral videos. You never know what's going to go. So was, we're very lucky. So that's what's great. And then that's we're, a, we still wear a lot of hats. I think was the point <laughs> of the question. You yeah. Know. So you have to have. We have. We've got the 480 East. Do we do all sorts of production for other people? Yeah. Well, so. Just uh, while we were waiting for your call, I was you know dealing with uh, royalty accounting software problems <laughs> we're <laughs> having here. Like it's you know depending on the day, we never really know what we're going to be. Yeah. So on. You're, to actually answer the question, which was you know the balancing, you really can't. Just like life, there's no balance, right? You try your best. Preferably, yeah, I'd like to say goodbye to all the commercial work and get back to why I got in the business in the first place, which was to make music and without any pressure. And uh, and that world of commercial is, is you know, is can be somewhat, uh, you know, soul-sucking, I guess, or unrewarding, whatever the word or feeling is. So, you know, that, like every musician, you've always, you, you love your music, you love to play music, and that's what I want to do, and that's what Rob and I like to do. So anything outside of that is, yeah, starts to, you know, be less enjoyable i guess but it's part of the thing it's part of the deal and and we're very lucky to be uh an independent label that's successful and survives and uh thrives and now we're making an even bigger push at that so 
with with the introduction of CC and getting back in dance music. It's great. Well, I'm really happy you guys are, are doing your thing. And and what uh, before I let you guys go, what do you want people to know about 480 East and and the rest of the uh, the production companies you guys head into to next year? Like, what co- should we be on the lookout for? I know the uh, obviously four on the floor is out. What what else is coming? Well, there'll be new 480 material which we're working on now. Um, yeah, it may not all be it may not all be dancey. Like we're not gonna you know we're not gonna abandon the, the you know our our deep back catalog at this point and <laughs> go purely back into house music uh, we're definitely expanding our audience for for that project and we've made a good start of it with this ep but there are lots more coming we're going to be featuring some uh we're also going to be i think we're going to be doing some more hip-hop influenced stuff because there's always been that uh influence to our our music as well and uh, we didn't talk about simone denny who sang backups on cc's track um we actually brought in simone to demo that song before we sent it to cc and uh we loved her her backups on it we so much we kept them on the record and uh i believe you were just talking to simone last week and we're very excited to be we've known her for a long time and and we've worked on a lot of stuff together but we are very excited to be heading back into the studio soon and working on new material with her as well. Perfect. Well, I can't wait to hear all of it. And again, congratulations on the EP. I'm like completely in love with, first of all, all the songs. And then, of course, uh, hearing CC is just fantastic. So I'm super glad you guys are doing this. And uh, you're welcome back on the show anytime. And check out the back catalog of 480 East, too. Like I said, it's not all dance, but I'm sure there's tons of stuff in there you're going to dig as well. Yeah, yeah. I've already been all over it. I've been stalking you guys. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Thank you, Thanks, Kelly. Kelly. That's Rob and Tony of 480 East and make sure you grab all their social media handles and learn more about them by jumping onto their website 480east.com. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us on the program this week. And of course, a big thank you going out to our guests, Simone Denny and 480 East. As always, a big shout out to our super producer, Adam Brisson, for pushing all the right buttons. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast. Check out Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and of course, Spotify. And you can grab all of our social media handles by hitting up our website, kellyalexandershow.com. On behalf of the entire Kelly Alexander Show team, we wish you an amazing holiday season, and we can't wait to be back with you in the new year. The Kelly Alexander Show.